change my ringtone to the Mayan death whistle? What the hell is that? Oh, let me hold on. The Mayan, it, is that like a flute or is it like something they did with their mouth? Uh, it was a whistle that they created for like wartime. Hmm. Mayan death whistle. Here we go. That's an ad. <laughs> All right, here we go. It's coming up. The death whistle. <laughs> is that not just a fucking scream? <laughs> yeah, it was a whistle though. It says they carve it and then it becomes. <laughs> what the? It makes that sound like how? Because how terrifying! You're going into war to fight this fucking tribe. And then there's that, yeah, like a thousand, well, maybe not a thousand, but like a hundred of them. That is scary. So that's like a little tool, like a wooden thing that does that noise. Yeah, they're just like a carved amount of wood, I guess, or bone maybe, I don't wow. know. Wow. Welcome to Dead House. I'm Dylan. I'm Nathan. How has your week been? Uh, busy as usual at this time of year. With mm-hmm. uh, I can't remember if I said it or not, but this is the time of year when we have something on just every fucking weekend. Yeah, your Novembers are rough. Birthdays upon... Do, you, how many birthdays are in November? I mean, I guess because it's like that amount of time after Valentine's Day and such. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah it's too many birthdays in November, plus buying a house, plus getting ready to go to Sydney for a fucking musical. Mm. It's too much. By the way, how's, uh, how's the developments with the house? Anything new? Uh, we've got a contract now. Sick. We haven't signed it, but we. Well, okay, little behind the scenes talk. Mm. They, they sent us a contract, uh, and they misspelled the word December. Oh, okay. and they also left something off it. Mm. So yeah. Okay, I've had like rental agreements before where the three of us living there, like one or two person's names was spelled differently, or mm-hmm. the lease term was wrong, or they like double backed and had different lengths of time throughout the same contract. And uh, it got to a point where we were hassling them multiple times to get an updated one after we'd moved in because the old lease ended and it was like a week or two into the new lease and we hadn't actually signed anything, but we were living there. See, that's dodgy as shit. Yeah. I mean, not so bad when you're renting, but if you're buying a place, you definitely want Mm. everything to be above board and make sure there's no wiggle room for them to be like, well, there is no December, so (laughs) we never sold you the house in December. I mean, I guess that isn't like as important as a time period or like a figure misspelt. Or yeah, but I don't know. I don't know how legal stuff works, but mm. I imagine there's some lawyer out there that could be like, well, this is not a, a valid contract because December is December does not exist. We moved in in Smarch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, that's fair. And um, we had like a, an early birthday dinner for Alex because mm-hmm. yeah. uh, that is why you're going to Sydney next weekend. Is the musical Beauty and the Beast? Yeah, well, yeah, yes, yeah, right. the musical is Beauty and the Beast. It's not really for a birthday. It just happened to coincide mm. uh, which is, I mean, good. We're like, let's make a holiday out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it, and then she's seeing it in Brisbane next year anyway. So <laughs> nice. That's fine. Uh, yeah, she's had like a birthday dinner with her family last weekend. Oh yeah. A birthday dinner with friends like yesterday. Yeah. That's and funny. then a birthday with me in Sydney next weekend. So she's got, mm. she's coming up to like a whole month of birthday. Yeah. Goddamn. That's what November is. It's just full of Alex's different birthday celebrations. Yes. <laughs> that's why he's so busy. But no, it was right. good. Italian. Love some good Italian, an mm-hmm. interesting cocktail, and uh, came back here and played some games. Oh, yes. Listened to some tunes. My new song is out now. What do you Speaking think? Speaking of tunes, I think it's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> nah, it's not always uh, your jam. Aussie hip hop's not always uh, yeah. something you no, can No, I get think it's, it's some of the best stuff you've done. Mm. It's just a sad song. Yeah, look, this EP is definitely a, a downer, but yeah. uh, 
But you know, I appreciate it. In terms of talent, you're way more talented than I could ever fucking uh, be. Thank you, sir. You know what else I did this week was um, I read a book called Horror Store by a guy called Grady Hendrix. But Horror Store is spelled like it looks Swedish. Okay. And what does that mean? What do you mean it looks Swedish? So it's spelled like horror. S T O with the two dots on top. Oh, R. An umlaut. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, the reason is because it's a fictional novel, and it's like a haunted IKEA knockoff store. Okay. There's like this chain I mean, in. <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah. This chain sure. in America called Orsk, O R S K, and it's essentially IKEA. It's like cheap flat pack furniture with weird names. And anyway, they uh, start finding shit broken or moved or. Uh, you know, weird things like that when they open the store. So one day they're like, you know what? Let's just pull an all-nighter. Let's do a PM shift. A few people are there with the manager. And uh, it turns out this building, this particular store, was built on, on the grounds. Indian ground. <laughs> it was built on the grounds that used to have an old prison in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And the main warden, like, ruled with an iron fist and essentially worked the inmates uh, to death with... Physical labor revolving around some like torturous devices. Okay. And the start of each chapter has like a blueprint of some article of furniture you can buy from Orsk, right? It'll be like a shelving unit called some Swedish name, or then it'll be a chair. And then as the book devolves into becoming this uh, haunted prison of a night, like the store just like it plays tricks on your eyes and Mm -hmm. it turns into this, this prison in the 19th century. The devices at the start of each chapter start being Ikea-esque ads for like Torture the devices? rack oh, that's or cool. like, like spiked that. treadmills and death masks, things like that. It's fucking cool. I recommend it. That's right. How long is this book? Uh, I read it in like three days. So it's probably like, it was 300-ish so pages. Like a five-day read to me. But it was like an easy read. Yeah. Okay. That very sounds, funny. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it's a cool sounds, concept. It sounds like you could make a very cheap, awful movie. <laughs> It won awards and stuff. But, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, introductions aside, this is a topic episode. Yes. And one that I'm I'm pretty keen for, but it's really hard to narrow down the choices because literally a world of options for this Yeah, one. so obviously from the title, whatever we ended up calling it, what, what, was, what was your idea? I had Foreign Frights as a working title. Yep. Yeah, so uh, I don't know if we've stuck with that. Foreign something. Foreign something. Anyway, uh, yeah, so it's foreign, which just means anything not, I guess, Australian or Hollywood. Or mm. even like or British. Yeah. yeah. Non-English horror. Yeah, actually, that is... Non-English makes, that makes speaking horror movies. Yeah. And I, fe- I want to say to the top, I feel like we've done Wreck Dirty because we didn't mm. cover it in the found footage episode. <laughs> We're not covering it in this foreign episode. Yeah. Are we ever going to cover that movie? Yeah, look, maybe... Uh, <laughs> Maybe we'll do an episode on it on its own okay. one of these days. Because, I mean, we are big fans of found footage. And I, I do believe uh, from the stats, that's one of our best performing episodes, streaming-wise. Oh, nice. So, uh, turns out the listeners also enjoy found foot horror film. Found, uh, found foot horror film. <laughs> what did I just say? Found foot. Found foot horror film. Uh, found <laughs> footage horror films. Fuck me. Uh, we're, what, 10 minutes in and, and can't speak. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, this was hard. Because we were like, all right, let's 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 pick... Like, a good example from each continent, excluding Australia, North America, and... Antarctica. Antarctica. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, also, Africa, right? Yeah, yeah. We couldn't really think anyway, of... Anyway, we've chosen three one big main ones, right? We chose three, yeah. So and we also didn't want to go, like, yeah, from the same country or same continent. So, we've got... Mm. What have we got? we got Japanese. We've Japanese. got 
Swedish, Swedish. and we've got Spanish. Spanish, yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Maybe yeah. That's, that, that's two from the same continent. It's going to be tough. Well, yeah, but I guess like but two Europeans Europe has and such, an Asian. Such an old history, and um, each country is so different from the other. Fair. So, I, I guess. Like I guess also like, what are African horror movies? Does Africa have a big uh, movie making industry? I have no idea. District Nine <laughs> should have got a like a Bollywood horror movie. Ooh, that would yeah. be interesting. They actually do look sick. I don't think I've ever seen a Bollywood film in full, but. They go ham with their like action sequences. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah. Anyway, should we should we get into it? Start from the top. Yeah, let's actually start talking about some of the. What, what are you, what are we going to start with? So the first one I think we'll do is uh, Ringu, the okay, ring. Cool. That was yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's probably uh, maybe my favorite of these three. So it's yeah. good to start that off the bat. Let's go with it. The Ring, nineteen ninety eight. Japanese like, horror. Ringu, not the Ring. The Ring was the American remake. Well, the Ring is uh, what Ringu is in Japanese. <laughs> Yeah, but we're not talking about English. We're talking. All about right. Well, how, how do films. you pronounce the other ones in their languages, then, Nathan? Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. Okay. Look. <laughs> anyway, Ringu. Um, had you seen this before this pod? No, I'd seen obviously the American remake mm. because, well, it's a lot easier to get into yeah. because it's not a foreign film. I think we might have watched it in All Nighter once as well. Oh, that it's definitely the All Nighter kind of movie. Like yeah. it's the early two thousands, like. Green for some reason, like that whole movie is just green. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, yeah. I like, thought it was like bluish in tinge. Bl- green, blue, same Greeny thing. Blue. Half yeah. color blind. That's fine. Uh, Cold and dead. Yeah, but Ringu is uh, very. I mean, it, the same sort of story, but very different, mm. uh, and not that scary, surprisingly. Yeah, what I got from this is it's kind of more a psychological thriller. You know, there's no gore, no violence. Yeah, one hundred percent. It definitely has some eerie themes, but um, in terms of like what could bump up the rating, it's just like disturbing themes. Yeah. Disturbing I mean, images. Yeah. It, it's funny though, because obviously I watched this for the first time this weekend, this mm. past weekend, uh, but I knew about it and as a childhood, I was scared of it. Yeah. Similar to like when I used to get like hear all the urban legends before I saw or heard mm. about properly and like the, just the idea of it would scare me. Yeah. And so growing up, I had a TV in my room. And when I heard about this one, I was like, well, fuck me. A random demonic ghost bitch can come out of the TV and get yeah. me while I'm sleeping. Yep. It's like the, just the idea of that terrified mm. me before it's, even like, seeing the movie. Yeah, it definitely elicits dread. That's one thing yeah. this film does for sure. It's uh, based on a novel by Koji Suzuki. Uh, which apparently... Any relation to the car? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. Um, the book was inspired by Poltergeist, which... Really? I can kind of get that from the whole TV aspect, I guess, of it all. Sure. But, because, like, I know you haven't seen it, but in Poltergeist, the girl is kind of, like, trapped in the TV, or the voice comes from the TV. So, he must have seen that and been like, what if the entity coming out of the TV was evil? (laughs) And that's kind of what gave him inspo. So, I thought that was cool. Um, I'm going to try and pronounce these names. (laughs) This whole episode, I'm going to try not to... Butcher and disrespect these good people. Good luck. <laughs> so, directed by Hideo Nakata. Very good. Who they also asked to direct the sequel to the American remake, which was cool. Okay. Paid homage to the man. Uh, written by Hiroshi Takahashi, starring Nanako Matsushima. Doing all right so far. And Hiroyuki Sanada, who's cool. actually been in a lot of uh, American films. He was in Life. Oh, I was going to say, is that the man or the woman? Yeah, because he, he definitely looked familiar. Mm. Like, obviously, the, the most John familiar Wick films, of any cast. I think, as well. 
Yeah, he's been yeah. in a few things. Yeah. And uh, this was made on a budget of 1.5 million USD. I believe it. Made 19.4 million USD. Okay. So, for a non-English film, this did all right. Yeah. And Very, uh, very low budget. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, too, that we're, we're going to do these in sort of chronological order of release, by the way. Okay. And uh, <laughs> just so you know, <laughs> the listeners as well. We definitely planned this episode ahead of time. <laughs> um, it's interesting that like one of the earliest kind of examples of successful international horror films is something from 1998. Because I guess you're looking at the rise of the internet and, um, you know, the way that uh, media is consumed um, in the late the late 20th century. Yep. Yeah, in ones that kind of really shocked the world, you can only really start close to 2000, which I thought was interesting. And um, this was definitely influential because I've seen some um, sort of interviews of directors of other horror films and some of the films that are going to be in this episode. Okay. Uh, where they've drawn influence from The Ring. So, very cool to see. Uh, weirdly enough, they also made a sequel called Spiral, mm-hmm. and that was released in Japan the same year as Ringu. Oh, okay. So they, they just dropped... Did they have it planned already, or they were just like, oh, shit, that was very successful. Let's immediately make another one. I don't know. But I've seen artists do double albums like that, where they make everything, and they just release them like apart. Yeah, okay. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, that'd the be... The Lord of the Rings did that, didn't they? I don't know. I'm pretty sure they did. Okay. I'm pretty, that... sure, I'm pretty sure they filmed all three movies. That makes sense. Because it'd be hard to do, like, have a film, you know, produced and edited and marketed and then do it all over again for a sequel as well as having to, like, recast people mm. and secure a budget and everything. Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. But uh, in a nutshell, uh, The Ring is, like, this reporter... And her ex-husband, they're kind of investigating this cursed videotape where if you watch it, you get a call saying that you will die in seven days. Yes. And unless you kind of copy it uh, or show it to someone else within that week, uh, you die. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and that specific detail doesn't get found out until like the last 10 minutes of the movie, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And that's my least favorite thing about the movie. I'll say off the top. Because <laughs> that's something I was going to ask you was it's kind of established that you'll die in seven days. But when like the main chick, Rico, I think her name was, when she gets the call, you just hear like this buzzing sound. Like you don't hear anything say that you're going to die in seven days, even if like even in the subtitles. Yeah, I'm glad I wasn't the only one. So I don't know what they did there. Uh, but I did like the, the soundscapes though. Like the the buzzing kind of on that phone, uh, I think they mixed like audio of different animals and insects for that. Kind of oh, like, wow, okay. kind of like the voice of Pazuzu in The Exorcist. Yeah, fair. And uh, I also like that you get the sound of rain a lot throughout the film, and when that's like sort of hitting the roofs or the cars, it's like TV static. And I yeah. thought that was an interesting. I guess that parallel. That's, if you were to realize that in the movie, that that'd be a good way to give it a sense of like presence throughout mm. the whole movie. Yeah. And I guess to further that, there's also like clocks or watches in pretty much every scene, which I thought was kind of like the reminder of limited time yeah, that they I mean, have. Yeah, the fact that from the get-go, you have seven days and mm. then it's just literally ticking down until you die. Yeah, and because they've only got those seven days, you even get like the the title cards of the days of the week. Yeah, those are very cool. Very, sorry, like seven, very like mm. shining. Mm. Like, like an impending doom. But um, the video itself, like the one that's on the tape that the kids watch in the cabin and... Um, the reason they start dropping like flies. It's uh, it's this really creepy montage of 
just random people um, and then this girl crawling out of a well. And uh, Sure. It's Well, okay. Because the first time, the first couple of times you see it, it's just the well, right? Yeah. I'm not mistaken there. Like, it's just the well. It's not till, like, the very last two times you can actually see someone climbing out of it. Mm. So, to begin with, it's just this, yeah, random, almost experimental film student film of... yeah. Like someone, there's a, there's a girl brushing her hair in a mirror. Mm. There's like people crawling in mud. There's, there's like a, a super close up of an eye. Yeah, there's, there's like a guy pointing with like a bag over his that, head. Yep. Okay, I forgot about that one. Uh, it's just it's it's just completely incoherent and uh, like weird, but nonsensical. Yeah. Um, yeah. Eerie, creepy for sure. Yeah, and uh, they figure out there's like this dialect in the back. It's like really slow, so they try and translate what it says. Um, like reviewing it with headphones and it's like this island language saying if you play in the sea goblins will come for you yeah which, yeah a bit, bit more eloquently i think it rhymes yeah yeah it's oh yeah something about like something brine something in brine goblin be thine yeah, yeah i don't know strange very yeah, creepy yeah i mean that, that's interesting because then it narrows it down to like a yeah there's one island off the coast of japan somewhere mm, and because with that information and a bit of research at the local library or something they discover that this woman um like predicted this volcanic eruption mm-hmm. that's also a big difference between the uh like american one and the japanese one mm. is in the japanese one it's a lot more emphasis on like the not like spiritual but like uh what's what's the word i'm thinking of ghost powers psychic psychic psychic, psychic powers <laughs> because the the ex-husband the I forgot everyone's names already, but the yeah. man is a psychic in this movie. Yeah, because like, he does like he, he's kind of a, a reluctant psychic, it would seem. Yeah, but yeah, that that's how you get a lot of the backstory and the sort mm. of exposition of the movie is he touches someone like the a doctor and gets like psychic visions of what happened. Mm. That's something I was going to ask you. I didn't know if because that whole flashback, like they both see it, but I didn't know if he was sort of like sensitive to that, and so was. Um, the rep- the main chick, the reporter, or whether you kind of gain that ability after watching the video. That's interesting, and there might be something to that for her at least. But, yeah. But for him, like, I'm pretty sure there's a moment as soon as he walks into her house the first time you meet him. Mm. I don't know. He has like sort of a look on him, like he is on un- like uneasy, or he can feel something in the room. Oh, that's. I true. think he looks at the tape in like a weird way, so you get a sense that he's psychic. Yeah. Or at least like. Like he kind feels of sensitive something. to it, yeah. That's true, yeah, okay. Because then you also get, I think he, oh, because then he's also sitting on the bench and he like can see Sadaka's feet, right? Oh, I love that because yeah. he's like writing or drawing or something on like a park bench and then it's like this busy walkway, but all of a sudden you can just hear like the girl's footsteps mm. walking towards him. And I really love that it doesn't tilt up. Like, you only see, like, her from the knees down. Yeah. Because it's almost like he refuses to. Yeah, I mean... He doesn't want to acknowledge it. That's definitely where, like, the reluctant psychic comes in. Like, maybe he's just just completely uh, blocked it all out his whole life or something. I don't know. Because you kind of see, like, Lorraine Warren do that in The Conjuring a bit, where she can sense there's, like, something horrible, like, behind her, but she just doesn't want to turn around and look at it. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that was cool. Which, I mean, I don't know. That makes sense, but... That's ridiculous. Mm. Like, if I've got an empty space behind me and I get a weird feeling, I'm looking. (laughs) (laughs) You know what was really cool as well is after you've looked at the video... No, sorry, let me rephrase that. What I thought was really cool as well is after you've watched the tape, your face distorts in photographs. 
and it's like all this warped, blurred image. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder why that is, like in the movie, why they put that detail in there. Is and it just to, just to create a sense of eeriness, just some, mm. like something extra to show that they're marked? Yeah, that's the word I was going to use. I think it just shows that they're, they're next. And um, it's also just really freaky. <laughs> yeah, well, because I think that's also one of the pieces of, I guess, evidence that like shows the main chick like makes her start believing because she sees mm. the like the friend group's photos that are all distorted and then she's like, oh, that's that's weird. Gives it a bit more truth mm. to the rumor. You know what would be freaky as well is if like you get your photo taken and you're just not in it. What the hell? That'd okay. be cool. Sure. Say cheese and die. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> um, but yeah, when the main chick, Rico, when she first watches the tape, I really love that she's like real close to this kind of analog TV that we used to have. Uh turns the set off and she can see the girl behind her in the reflection. Yep. And then she turns around and she's not there. That reminded me so much of Signs from oh, Mel Gibson, God. like wheels the TV in. I know you hate me bringing <laughs> up parallels to Signs, but oh, it just shows like how influential this film is. Yeah, okay. And cool. um, the only thing I like about that is that connection to Signs is then <laughs> fucking Scary Movie 3, they combine Signs and The Ring. Yeah, true. <laughs> which between Ringu, The Ring, and Scary Movie 3, it kind of all blurs together in my head. A, I can't a bit, remember what happened in which. <laughs> yeah, it, it helps that I only watched Ringu like two days ago. So that uh, that most of that's yeah. the freshest in my mind. The main thing I use to remember uh, how to distinguish between them is in... <laughs> the Japanese people? Well, that too. But I was going to say in The Ring, the American one, they're flat screen TVs. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That, that's fair. That makes sense. Um, yeah, just she knows like when you show it to someone, you know, they're next. And she's like, oh, look. Watch this Watch this video See what happens So she just like Waits out on the balcony While he's I mean to be fair So ex- ex-husband So Yeah, oh, yeah. Know? It kind of like Rekindles their relationship In a way the, Their like investigation together Which I also liked It gave the story Like a bit of depth Yeah I mean yeah Because they don't get Into the backstory Of, of why they're separated Right Because uh, mm. we're also Missing the part Where they have a son Like the most Yeah uh, Grown up Responsible Six year old In the world Yeah like yeah. she's off doing her job and he's getting himself ready, walking walking to school every day, mm. gets out a dress for her to get ready, reminds her of things. Oh, that's right. That's, because that's what you, I want my kid to be. Because I forgot that she's like um, sleeping like on the floor and she like wakes up in the middle of the night and he's like watching the video on the TV because that, you know, kind of um, gives the plot a sense of urgency. So even oh, yeah. though their time is running out for themselves because they've watched the video, you know, six, seven days ago. Um, they don't have like a new motivation because they yeah, don't want, like, they want to defeat it or overcome it before their son has to deal with it. Yeah. Um, which is really cool. But you also learn kind of like telepathically, I guess, because of their psychic abilities now, um, that Sadako's like father, like pushed her into the well. Not just pushed her, beat her across the head, then pushed yeah, her into the well. And then sealed her in. Yeah. And I only kind of realized this today when I was re- reviewing my notes before this pod is... When she crawls out of the TV at the end to come for the ex-husband and she has no fingernails, that's probably because she's been clawing at the insides of the well to get out. Yeah, because there's that super creepy, disturbing shot where the main character is in the well and she sees fingernails in the walls. Or it was either, oh, it was either the man or the woman. Yeah. Oh, like, okay, I must have missed in that. in the well and there's like these full fingernails oh, in there. That's fucked. Which then, yeah, goes to show that, oh yeah, she was still alive when yeah. she fell into the well. And I, I know she finds like the clump of hair. <laughs> yeah, and then I don't know if it's it's in this again or the American remake. But I think the reason it's seven days is because she actually lived for seven days in the well before she actually died. Oh, uh, okay, like, that's, that's fair. That's where the 
the time frame comes. Yeah. From. Wow. Yeah. Anything to do with like fingers or toes, like any <laughs> like small fragile <laughs> extremity is just makes you cringe to see something happen to it in a movie. Yeah. Like stepping on the nail in a quiet place. It's so simple, <laughs> but gets you every time. Maybe it's um, just because it's like, in a way, the most relatable. Because it's, uh, it's like, it's we've not all stubbed our toe on the coffee table in the middle of the night. <laughs> exactly. It's like it's not something completely outrageous, like getting your arm hacked off. It's like yeah. a tiny little thing that, like, I've stepped on a nail before. It was very painful. Oh God, I can imagine. Uh, this is for Sean. Fiddle dee dee. That will require a tetanus <laughs> shot. Uh, but yeah, she finds the clump of hair, and then like. The skull just like bobs to the surface, or like the head does, yep. and then she holds it, and the skin just like falls away. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's some pretty good effects there, and um, yeah. yeah. I also like at the end, uh, the, the big reveal when the ex husband's home and uh, the TV turns on and she crawls out and just looks at him and he kind of like freezes, like mm-hmm. being killed by Medusa or something. Um, and it's the eighth day, and that's how she finds out like one of them had a copy. And it wasn't like the legit tape. Is that what it is? Uh, okay, so you definitely didn't pay attention to the end of the movie. I was trying. I was <laughs> trying to figure it out. So it says eighth day because it's her eighth day. Like she survives the seven days because they go down to this well and they find her body. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, they think that that's it. Mm. Which I guess because they've reached the point where she's meant to die and she doesn't. So they're like, cool. I guess we've found her body, given her rest. Like, they've you know, given her peace. Mm. Must be over. Uh but then, yeah, so it's her eighth day, but the the man's seventh day. Mm. Uh, and then it's revealed that in order to live, you have to make a copy of the tape and pass it on to someone. Okay, yeah. Like those stupid, shitty chain letters or mm. chain emails from like fucking primary or high school. Just kind of like it follows. You just got to pass on to the next one and... Definitely big it follows. Evade ones. it. Uh, and so I like that reveal of like, oh yeah, they think they've beaten this... Mm. You know, curse or whatever But no, she just got lucky mm. And then she finds out a way how to do it And then I guess she has to do it for her son as well Yeah, okay uh, I just don't like the actual method It seems kind of weird I don't know, I also haven't seen Spiral So I don't know how they expand <laughs> yeah. on it Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this film's um, It's real kind of like gritty Very 90s uh, Relatively simple Like it's just this videotape Where you like it looks like you said earlier You know, students just whipped up this random montage, you watch it, and then a lot of the film after that is just, like, them kind of speculating, mm-hmm. like, what's going to happen. Because all, all it is, like I said before, there's no violence, no gore. The deaths are just, like, um, paralysis. Like, they're, they're just, like, frozen in yeah. terror. Yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of the film, like I said right at the top, is just, like, impending doom and just this sense of dread that it just does so well. Yeah, like, and also... I guess it's just uh, like product of it being a, a Japanese movie. I don't think they're big on like jump scares, mm. and so th- it's there's not many like jump scares in this movie. Yeah, the only one I can think of is well, the only two, and they're both very good. Mm. Is uh, uh, when it's the mother of the first victim, like the the, the girl, mm-hmm. when she's talking to her, it cuts like hard cuts to her finding her daughter's body in the closet, and she's got like a fucked up face. Oh yeah. And then the the other one at the end of the movie, which is my favorite shot of the movie, is like the super like close up of Sadako's eye. Yeah, and it's through the fringe. Like, and I think that's also like the the cover art of the mm. of the movie. Yeah, like, that is they're creepy. That looks weird. It is freaky, um, but yeah, you're definitely right. They're not really jump scares. And even like when 
it's something that in sort of typical Hollywood would be a jump scare, like the TV reflections, for example. Mm. They're like the characters themselves aren't scared. Yeah. They're just like, oh, that's weird. Turn around. Nothing's there. Like, it's just this sense of like something being off. Like, you know, something's coming, but you just, you can't see it. Should we talk about the next one? So that's, that's Japanese. That's Japanese. What, what else we got? Are let's we going to go, go Spanish or Swedish? Let's go to another side of the world. Let's go Spanish. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's definitely another side of the world. Mm-hmm. So Spanish, The Devil's Backbone. The Devil's Backbone, yes. I literally never even heard of this movie until you like suggested it for this podcast. Yeah. 2001, I bought it on Blu-ray like years ago and just never got around to watching it. <laughs> and um, when we decided we were doing foreign horror for this episode, I was like, oh, we can watch that movie I bought ages ago. It's... um. Barely horror, but it's definitely got like supernatural themes. I will cut you off there and say that is kind of evident for all of these movies, I feel like. That's something I realized as well. I think that's a product of us just being so used to like the American, the English or the Australian Mm. version of horror. Yeah. Where it's like there's certain tropes and like beats that they have to hit to like be a horror and be Mm. scary. Whereas these different cultures like... Ringu, they lean more on like the the psychic and the supernatural side, mm. and then the Devil's Backbone. I mean, it's all just science, kind of folklore, maybe. Or yeah, that's a good way. A, to a put lot it. of it, the horror in that movie is the times and like the the Spanish War. Yeah, the horror is the reality of that era. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I definitely uh, picked up on that as well watching these films, where maybe we're just desensitized from slashes, <laughs> and mean, now yeah. like we've just missed the plot of having just like a good story. Yeah, and I mean, like, these movies are all way better than, I want to say, like, 80% of the the typical Hollywood slashes. Yeah. Because they have genuine characters, genuine plots, genuine, like, emotion in them. Mm. One thing I've learned from reviewing international cinema in preparation for this episode is that foreign horror is, like, scary movies for the thinking person. (laughs) Fair. Um. Although... (laughs) It maybe you're just looking at it in a vacuum and like you're seeing the popular ones that break through the international barriers. Yeah. Where you're not seeing the shit ones like, I don't know, their version of, mm. I don't want to say signs. But. Oh, yeah. If, if there's that many movies in this country alone that the rest of the world has not heard of, for these kind of ones to be so successful overseas, you know it's like the 0.5% mm. of, of high quality cinema out of that country. Yep. Um, but yeah, The Devil's Backbone. Directed by Guillermo del Toro, the man behind Kronos, Mimic, Pan's Labyrinth, and Hellboy. Yeah, so, see, he's a man I've definitely heard of. Definitely created a legacy. Like, he's just got such a distinct style. You can always tell when you're watching a del Toro film. Mm-hmm. Um, written by him, uh, as well as David Munoz and Antonio Trashores. So, a trio behind the, the screenplay there. Uh, good Lord. Starring <laughs> Marisa Perides, uh, Eduardo Noriega. Federico Lopi and Fernando Tielf. Cool. Obviously, <laughs> not heard of any of those actors. No, I've not heard of them or seen them again. Um, made on a budget of four point five million, and it made six point five at the box office. Ooh, so that's interesting. So yeah, that's, yeah. So that's that's made its money back, but mm. that's definitely not like a majorly successful movie. It's a humble entry. Uh, apparently, the film was sixteen years in development, from you know the ideation to the end result. That makes sense. Would I be would I be right in assuming that he grew up in the time of the Spanish War? Uh, and so maybe he, oh, he actually drew some inspiration from his like, personal experience? Yeah, possibly. Possibly. Because um, I think he started writing this when he was in college. 
definitely has some like religious undertones and something I didn't realize, but something that I read uh, is that all the good characters have names with the initial C and mm-hmm. all the bad guys have names with the initial J, like Jesus Christ. I don't know if that was uh, intentional or a byproduct, but... I mean, but what's what's the point of that? Good characters that start with C, bad characters that start with J. Are they trying to say Jesus Christ is good and bad? I don't know. Well, C, you've got Christ, and J, you've got Judas. <laughs> I'm, okay. <laughs> I don't I'll, know. I'll pay that. That's as much as that's as much as I'll accept. Um, I just thought that was interesting. Uh, yeah. And speaking of the ring being influential, apparently the white-faced ghost in this, Santi, uh, was inspired by Sadako from the Ring. I and the Grudge. I don't know if I see that. Hmm. Like they've. Obviously, one's a boy, one's a girl. Yeah. One's a ghost, one's a psychic curse. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Like, I like Sadako and she's kind of scary because mm. you only get one glimpse of her face in the entire movie and the rest of it's just like from a distance or she's got long black hair covering her mm. face. Whereas you see this ghost immediately in the movie. Although I guess yeah. that's also a byproduct of it's not a bad character. Like, th- that's something that this character, uh, this movie. Is surprising. Is yeah. It like the ghosts are not bad characters. The that's, people are bad characters. That's All the it, ghosts yeah. are good. The the villains per se in The Ring and The Devil's Backbone are victims. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. maybe that's sort of something that sort of also inspired it. But, you know, like Santi has this kind of horrible gash in his forehead where this blood kind of like clouds midair like Pennywise. And he's that's, got. That's a cool aspect that I like. Yeah. Because he was killed in water. Yeah. Then yeah. like his ghost has. A perpetual, yeah, blood drips going upwards. And, um, yeah, like almost translucent skin. Like when you're looking at him, you can like just see the outline of his bones, well, which a, is cool. That's a ghost, but all right. Something I also really noticed, uh, which to be honest is just in all Del Toro films, is really elegant camera movement. Like there was very few static shots, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, even when people are speaking. And a lot of low angles. And I guess that's because much of the film is from a kid's perspective. Yeah, true. Which is um, kind of cool. And, and like, kids that are sort of stuck in an orphanage. So, mm. aside from them being kids, their whole life is just from a position of... What's the opposite of power? Uh, Inferiority. Yep. <laughs> Submission. There we go. Um, but, yeah, you were right before. It was set during the Spanish Civil War of the 1930s, and it's a poor orphanage, and they kind of talk about how they need to ration food. They don't have toys. The best they've got is a marble made of snot um, and drawings that they've done. Um, When Carlos, the main character, gets kind of inducted into the orphanage, they give him a bar of soap and they say that's to last him for a year. Yep. So you can definitely see the struggle um, in this school. And uh, I also really like that diffused bomb that you see that's like stuck uh, sort of in the ground outside Mm -hmm. the orphanage. It's kind of this symbol of history repeating itself where, you know, war is something that human race will never learn from. There's war, you know, happening overseas as we speak. And I really like that in the voiceover narration of this film, they even use that phrase of history repeating itself, like okay. over shots of that. I thought that was really, really interesting. That's cool. That's not how I saw the bomb at all. I, I thought it was just like a, a, a movie-long metaphor for like, the whether it's the war's like constant uh, like presence at the school. Like mm. it's it's always there, it's always around you, or even like it's always just waiting to go off. Ooh, I like that. Because even like the legend amongst like the little boys is that they didn't actually disarm it, and it is still alive. Bomb. Yeah, and he's like, oh, if you get close to, it, you can hear it ticking. I'll be like, honest. Like they're expecting it to go off any yeah. second. 
because I hadn't seen it before until we watched it, I thought like at one point later in the film it was going to go <laughs> off. Uh, yeah. And I also like that Carlos forges this bond with Jamie, who bullies him. Um, but he even kind of like takes the fall for having the knife and spilling the water and all that kind of thing. As a result, they like fight uh, for each other in the end. And it's just a really good kind of like coming of age story behind all this, like dare I say, horror or this like war scenes. Yeah. Which is really cool. Um, but even on the note of horror, like you've got some really creepy moments. Like when you see the shadow behind that curtain and he pulls it away and there's nothing there. But because the water's knocked over, you can see like wet footprints like walking away yep, in yep. the hall. That was really cool. Um, when he's like hiding in the closet after he like asks to speak to the ghost anyway. Um, and you just see like the eye appear at the keyhole. Yep. Things like that. Also, it's called The Devil's Backbone because the doctor at this orphanage has this like fetus of a kid that died of spina bifida in this yellow liquid that he calls limbo water. And it doesn't actually do anything, but he like ladles it and sells it in bottles to the town to cure impotence. Yeah, well, because it's all about that folklore and like it's it's believed by the local people to cure mm. those things like like snake oil, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just think it's so gross. You just see him like spoon out some and drink it. Just <laughs> Yeah, it's it's fucking disturbing. <laughs> it's gross as yeah. shit. Yeah, um, and I guess outside of like the horror elements, um, even just the the moments of war in this, like when the orphanage gets attacked and there's that explosion after the bad guy like blows up the jeep or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and when the the doctor kind of like rises, blood just like pours out of his ear, like down his face. Yeah, that was that was gnarly. Um, and I also just realised that happens in the next film that we're going to talk about as well. It does indeed. Um, but also just when he looks around and there's just these dead kids lying around everywhere. It's like pretty horrible. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's war. And that's like the horror in this movie just literally comes from real life, Mm. (laughs) real war stuff that actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah, I guess coming out of uh, Europe or a European country, it's, um, it's interesting to see where they draw their inspiration from Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for cinema, but um, really good sort of story writing behind this as well. Like the fact that the bad guy kind of grew up in this orphanage um, and he's now like somewhat of a caretaker and he wants to crack the safe to access the gold bars Mm. and he finally gets into the safe and it's not in there and then you find out all this time the gold's been in the headmistress's like wooden leg. Yeah. Because I really like they plant seeds in dialogue throughout the film where she's like, oh my, it's really giving me grief today. It's so heavy. Yeah, I think she Um, even says like it's getting heavier. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Because she's putting the gold in it, I guess, to make it more secure. Yeah, I did not see that coming. Um, I thought that was really good writing. Um, and she kind of like complains about the weight of it. But then also when uh, Jacinto, I think his name was, figures that out and he sort of stuffs it in his pockets. Um, the kids kind of corner him and they've got these like sharpened stakes and they just stab him in the armpit. Oh yeah, that, that's, a, that's a hard scene to watch. Like, yeah, anything that gets stabbed in the armpit yeah. always seems like it would hurt the most. It's like stepping on the nail, like a sharp piece of wood to the armpit. Good God. <laughs> um, and they stab him, they like stick him like a pig. And well, then he, he deserves it. <laughs> yeah, and I love that he falls in the water and in the end, because he can't get the gold out of his pockets, he drowns. Mm-hmm. It's just very poetic. Um, Killed by his own greed. Literally. Yeah, yeah. And Santi, um, who was the kid that, that he inadvertently killed way back when, um, gets his revenge. 
Indeed. And is set free. Yeah. But yeah, an Which interesting I, film. Yeah, I think it, what else is interesting is like this movie could also 100% work just without the ghosts. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it definitely provides some like sort of creepy elements and like... Uh, definitely has themes or like messages of conquering fear. Mm. Um, but yeah, also it's just a tale of like friendship and desperation um, just set in times of war. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like... Like a Lord of the Flies type movie or mm. it's just, yeah, coming of age. The ghost that's like not ready to move on and a bomb that's fallen but not gone off. They're just kind of like metaphors, mm-hmm. um, which, yeah, I just really enjoyed. Uh, again, you know, very loosely horror, but I guess uh, if you're looking at other countries, like maybe you can't measure it to the same scale that we would use over here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shall we move on? Sure. Yeah. Last last movie. Let let the right one in. Let the right one in. 2008. Swedish film. Oh, I just realized I was talking about a book that draws inspiration from the Swedish language at the start of this episode. Yeah. I didn't even realize oh, it. Oh, my. I thought you were planting seeds. <laughs> no, that's so good. Um, let the right one in. I saw this film many years ago and loved it from the first time I saw it and um, recently read the book as well. Mm-hmm. Probably the most interesting and engaging vampire novel I've ever read. Um, and I grew we up reading... Read Twilight? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm, for the and, love of God, I'm kidding. Please don't and, take it seriously. And I like um, grew up reading books like that. But yeah, it's um, it was directed by Thomas Alfredson, uh, based on the book by John V. Lindvist. Uh, and he also wrote the screenplay. Okay, so, that's always good. Another example of a film adapted from a book where the author actually wanted it made. Uh, and had some sort of creative control. Uh, starring Kauri Hedebrandt and Lena Leanderson. They're um, a bit easier to, to I'm going to I say. Think. Yeah. Um, made on a budget of $4 million and made $11.2 million at the box office. Uh, as a result, it did win numerous awards worldwide. Yeah. Um, and they did make an American remake uh, in 2010. Is that what it's called Let Me In? Let Me In. Yeah, yeah okay. that's the one. Have you seen that one at least? I've not seen that one. No, okay, yeah. You say at least. I've, I've seen Let Me In. Oh, well, yeah. This. Sorry. Um, it's okay, but this is definitely more um, stylish, like more technical. Okay, that's good then. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's essentially a romantic drama with vampires. Like it's a, it's a demented Twilight. Yeah, I mean, it's also got like an aspect of like coming of age as well because yeah. the main character is 12 years old, I think. And Oscar, the other one is 12 and a couple hundred years. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of like this bullied outcast um, who falls in love with the girl next door and then, um, you know, he kind of teaches her like social norms and she kind of teaches him to, to like stand, stand up, up for himself. himself. Snap. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's a really heartwarming story behind some sort of confronting visuals at times Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of really long static shots which I enjoy the ones that come to mind are like at the start where the guy like abducts the kid with like the gas and it's just like this long shot watching him like wrestle the kid to the ground and putting him to sleep and uh, then the dog just like comes upon him, bloodletting the guy. Yeah, I mean that <laughs> in the snow. Yeah, that's such a cool shot because it's literally happening out in the open. Like, yeah, you can see like the highway in the background. Yeah, like, cars going by. That that's crazy. And then I mean, people stumble upon him. Like he, mm. he is a bit of an idiot. Yeah. Do yeah. they do they mention what their actual relationship is between him and and the main chick? No, they don't really go into it in the film, but in the book, essentially, um, Ellie, the girl the vampire, she kind of just like goes from town to town, like finding people that fall in love with her to use them to get her fresh bodies. 
so he's to get her fresh blood. So he's probably so. a pedophile then, huh? Yeah, yeah. In the book, oh, he yeah. is. Yes. Um, yeah, but they kind of have this like unrequited love. Mm. Um, and again, like when he kind of tries to abduct another guy in like the gym bathroom and he's like got him upside down ready to cut his throat but then he wakes up and starts screaming and his friends like hear him yeah and bash through the door i love that the shot there is like from behind a a wall that's sort of perpendicular to the lens so you can see into one half of the bathroom with the guy hand upside down and the kids beating on the door and then the other half of the screen you've got him hiding behind the wall yep that was really cool and then obviously you get the scene where he just fucking dumps acid on his face yeah the I don't know what they did for like the the scene after that when he's actually in hospital. Mm. Whether they use practical effects or CGI or like an actual like person who has missing half their face, mm. but that looked real as shit. And oh it looked yeah, grotesque, disfigured and pussy. Yeah, and, yeah, like, fresh. That was a highlight in the yeah. terms of their practical effects in this movie. When when I read that bit in the book, it was much more gruesome because okay. uh, it was like. When he threw the acid on his face, so whoever found him wouldn't recognize him, all his skin just melted to like a slender face. And then when he woke up, like in the hospital, he screamed and his mouth like tore the skin open so oh, he had a okay. hole again. Like it went into detail. It I was mean, you, you can do that in books because it's longer and it, you, yeah. it can evoke more like imagination. Yeah, yeah. This, they can only show so much, so I guess they decide to cut mm. smartly and, and then he, just go later to the, the aftermath of it. Even when... um. Ellie like flies up to the window or calls up to the window and he lets her like drink his blood and he falls out the window. It's just like this one shot showing him falling, like smacking on the roof below before he hits the ground. It's yeah, it's rough. Uh, And I also enjoyed the symmetry in this. Um, I kind of saw it as like a message of two characters living separate lives and they fall in love with each other, but they're like worlds apart despite living next door. Sure. Like you've got, a lot of the time you see a shot sort of their two windows on the wall outside. Um, I thought that was just really nice. And uh, I guess speaking of that hospital scene as well, um, I love those kind of background scares where I think we mentioned it um, in the last episode actually where it doesn't move until like the characters left the frame and then it moves. I loved that when she's like on the hospital wall and the nurse goes back inside and just like continues crawling up to the window. That was sick. That was awesome. Yeah, that was very cool. Um, but she also has principles. Like, Ali's, like, she hates what she is. Or, well, like, she's accepted it, but she doesn't like the act of killing. Yeah, well, that that's always an interesting, like, aspect of, I guess, vampire movies or stories or whatever. Mm. It's like, it, it is something that is like a bloodlust and they can't control it. Yeah. And so she's sort of the, one of the protagonists of the movie and she's meant to be a good person. You're meant mm. to like her. Yeah. But I feel so bad for, what's his name, Jockey? Jockey? Like oh, the, the yeah. First, the first man that she kills. Yeah. And, like, he, he was such an innocent man. The friendship he has with his mate. Mm. Like, before he dies, he, like, says goodbye to his friend. He's like, thank you for another night of merriment and friendship. Yeah. That's yeah. like, good Lord. And He's a he, good guy. And then she just kills him. Yeah. See, that's another, like, long static shot where she sucks his blood and then just, like, turns his head around in the snow yeah. and just ugh, Breaks it. leaves which his I, body there. Which is, comes back later because I guess the reason she killed him is because, like, mm. well, so he wouldn't come back as a vampire. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't like turning a victim, so she kills him after she's fed. But, yeah, you, you sort of hit the nail on the head before where it's interesting to see a vampire film where they kind of go through this identity crisis and they don't mm. like what they've become. Um, like, even when... 
she attacks Virginia um, and then she starts to turn and they show her like reacting to sunlight and drinking wine and things like that. Uh, I thought it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the scene where she's in the hospital bed and just doesn't want to go on anymore, asks the nurse or the doctor to open the blinds and just spontaneously combusts. Yep. That was sick. Uh, a CGI cat attack. Yeah, that that was that was interesting. <laughs> was yeah, a, I guess it's, it's as strange. good as they could have done. Yeah, that's fine. And it, is it is is this a scary movie? Are there scary moments in this movie? I mean, think? I don't what think do I don't think there were moments that were scary, just confronting. Like when you see yeah. people getting their necks snapped, or you see like severed limbs and uh, spontaneous combustion. Um, like when Ellie wants to go into Oscar's apartment and she asks him to invite him in. Oh, that was a very good scene. Yeah. And he's like, what happens if I don't? And he like just to come in and then she just starts like bleeding from every pore. Yeah. That's always interesting because like in all of the sort of vampire myths and legends and stuff, it is like, oh yeah, one of the rules is they can only go in if they're invited. Mm. I guess a lot of the things just take that as they physically can't enter and it's a barrier. But yeah. then you get something like this where it's, oh yeah, they can enter, but it's just bad things happen. Yeah. And that's sort of in, like a while ago, I watched The Lost Boys for the first time. And they yep. have a similar thing in that where it doesn't stop the vampires from entering. It just changes an aspect of like mm. the lore or the, the myth of it. Yeah, which I really liked that because similar to her being like, dare I say a respectable vampire, like it's like this code that they got to follow and she's almost like polite. Yeah. Like she she wants to live as this creature as kind of discreetly as she can to kind of coexist with people that she can still relate to, mm-hmm. which is almost a tragedy. I mean, the whole fucking movie is a tragedy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that end scene, man, where uh, kids getting bullied by like five people. <laughs> Holding his head underwater in the swimming pool, um, and then Ellie just breaks in and kills them all. But it's just this shot of Oscar's head underwater, and you see like a kid's feet getting dragged through the surface for like ten meters, mm. and a severed head drops down to the bottom. And then I love that lingering shot afterwards, and it's kind of like a wide shot of the just showing the carnage, the building. Yeah, yeah, and there's just these like mutilated corpses lying around the school gym. Wild, Very wild. Yeah. Because we haven't spoken about it since you've watched it until right now. What did you think as a whole of this movie? I thought it was very good. Yeah. I think it, uh, it's con- it's confronting. It's like sad at times. It's mm. kind of funny at times. Because I know it's not your kind of horror, but I just think it's a really like affecting Yeah. Well, in, in terms of a horror, like it's all right. Mm. In terms of just a movie, I very much liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I could have done without the mutilated genital shot but that's just me <laughs> yeah uh, so that's not something i want to see in my movie yeah that's uh, uh that's something they only alluded to in the film but in the book there's like this big kind of reveal that ellie is a boy and yeah. uh was castrated by like this vampire king mm-hmm. uh hundreds of years ago so yeah i mean yeah so they sort of allude to that in the movie i guess with that shot but then also a couple of times what is it he Oscar calls Ellie a girl and she's like, well, I'm not a girl or yeah. would you still like me if I wasn't a girl? Yeah. And like at the time you think, like in your mind, you're thinking, oh, it's because she's a vampire. That's mm. that's pretty smart and clever. Yeah. But then it's sort of got this double meaning of, oh no, she actually is a boy. Mm. Very much enjoyed this film and I recommend you watch it if you can find it. The Swedes know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. All day behind Ikea. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Orsk. <laughs> um, 
Man, another film that you weren't able to squeeze in that I highly recommend anyone listening to this go see is Goodnight Mummy. Uh, it's a German film made in Austria, but um, the language is German. And it's kind of like these twin boys, identical twins, whose mother comes home from cosmetic surgery and she has her face bandaged up for the, almost the entire film. And they start to suspect that she's not their mum anymore uh, and that it's someone else because uh, she starts getting abusive and essentially they end up torturing her for answers. Oh. And uh, yeah, it kind of... Uh, it, it's another film where it's a lot of like long, uncomfortable shots and some gruesome acts in it, but I suspected the twist very early on. Well, but don't, don't tell me the twist. I won't. I won't. Yep. I suspected it early on, but it wasn't like a double bluff, but it kind of like went further than what I thought it was. Turns out the kids are the real... Intruders. I'm not going okay, to say you're anything. Giving me a look. Are you giving me a look? <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. They're, they're not. They're not. They're who they say they are. But it's um, there is a, a really um cool twist in here, and it's very well made. It was also shot on 35 millimeter film. Oh, um, go. and apparently that's just because they thought it looked better. Uh, and also, um, they said it required more urgent performances from the actors because you know it's not like digital where you can just charge the camera and keep going and going and going. So I thought that was a, an unusual choice. Um, and to go with that, uh, the actors kind of had to think in the moment because they weren't given the script. Um, so a lot of sort of uh, natural dialogue, but also they were only told the next part of the story on that day of filming. Oh, that's interesting. That's so, an interesting way to make a movie. Yeah. So that's why there's a lot of like long pauses and awkward silences in this film. But because they're just like kind of uh, like squirming in, in the the presence of the mother um it just works really well because it just you can just feel like <laughs> how uncomfortable they are um Wild. very good movie yeah but it's interesting like talking about these films because we've kind of touched on it throughout here where just their idea of horror in other countries is just very different to like australian american and british films yeah it's always it seems to always be deeper it's deep it's a, it's more than mm. just surface level there's a scary thing or a person trying to kill people. There's yeah. like more motivation behind the things that are happening and more nuance to it. Definitely, yeah. There's there's more focus on the story and the characters as opposed to like cool visuals and like crazy kills. Like, mm. for example, you've got like, you know, Japanese horror where it's more so about like urban legends and then um, you've got Spanish horror where it's sort of war history and they get their inspiration from real life events. And then you've got Swedish horror where it's like um, vampires and, <laughs> you know, putting them in like a relatable social setting. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah. Interesting to see, but also watching films from other parts of the world. Like you can see different landscapes, you know, like just in those three films, we go from like islands to desert to snow. <laughs> yeah. I think that, I think the setting very much takes like a, a big part of it. Cause like let the right one in mm. is set in this, well, yeah, it's like Swedish winterland where it's all dark and dreary and the whole landscape looks miserable mm. to sort of, I don't know, set up or mirror like his miserable life. Yeah. And it's like his whole setting is bad. Mm. Uh, but then Japan, it's like a bustling fucking, you know, city. Yeah. Which I just love Japan and watching the movie made me want to go. Yeah. Even more. I'd love to go sometime. And also The Devil's Backbone was the only one of these not to have an American remake. Even Goodnight Good. Mummy Good. had an American remake. Good. Keep it that way. <laughs> yeah. We don't need to remake everything that another country does. You can't it's remake something worse. Del Toro does. <laughs> yeah. Too much of a distinct style. I reckon one day they'll 
remake fucking Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, Labyrinth. maybe. Labyrinth. Or maybe do like a show of it. Because it's kind of like a dark, yeah. twisted Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. With a, again, like a sort of Nazi background. So you just must like horrors set on that background. But, um, and man, there's so many other notable international horrors. Like we haven't touched on things like Juwan and um, Wreck, which you mentioned at the start. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do we're gonna do funny games, but funny games. Really probably find a way to watch it. In yeah. Time. Um, Suspiria, which I've regrettably not seen yet, but we'll probably give it its own episode. It's oh, for got, sure. It's yeah. got such a um, an esteemed kind of status. Yeah. Uh, Audition, I've never seen. Yeah, um, that's the, one that I've recommended. Yeah, it really piques my interest. Um, but even like just foreign films in general, uh, like I've always enjoyed Lahaine and French cinema in general. Um, about like the race riots with a very like ambiguous ending. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, old boy, which I watched again for the first time in years yesterday, and like, dude, that's probably in my I reckon top twenty films in general of all time. It's yeah. so well made. Um, I think I said to you before we started recording, it's like the Korean John Wick. <laughs> um, and Parasite. Have you seen Parasite yet, man? I've still not seen Parasite. Oh, so good. I've got too many so things good. to watch. I still haven't watched everything everywhere all at once. Um. I kind of want to watch that because it won awards and it's it's Korean, but also it's an A24 film, I think. Mm-hmm. It's very Alex different. Alex is giving me thumbs up behind It's you. very different to other A24 films you'll be used to, though. Yeah, okay. All right. I'll give it a chance. Um, but yeah, if you can get around, we'll watch some of these films we've touched on because I know it's easy to uh, brush off a film if you can't be fucked reading subtitles the entire time. But to yep. be honest, our generation just watches Netflix with subtitles on. So yeah. well, that's no know. excuse. I mean... I'm a good example. Like I, it, the same, similar to when I, I don't want to, well, I want to read, but I can't get started. Mm. Like I never really want to sit down and watch a foreign film because you do have to pay like attention to it. Yeah. And sometimes you just don't want to. Yeah. But every time I do, it's like, yes, good. I'm into it. I like mm. it. I yeah. never regret it. I guess like if there's key details, that's maybe only mentioned in one line of dialogue or like a couple shots in the film and you're, not reading or you're sort of, you know, busy in the kitchen while it's on in the background, like you're going to miss it. But mm. yeah, if you just sit down and sort of absorb another country's culture for an hour and a half, it's a really fulfilling experience. Maybe if people did that, they'd be less racist in the world. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'd understand people a bit more. Well, I still wouldn't understand people, but you know, their <laughs> cultures, maybe. Yes. Thanks for listening. That's all I have to say about foreign frights. <laughs> I guess we're just calling it It's set in frights. stone now. Yeah. It's foreign frights. That's right. Well, this brings us to the end of the episode. It so, does. Yeah, tune in next week at 5 p.m. on Friday when we release our next episode, which mm-hmm. will be uh, about something... Old. <laughs> yeah, something old. Oh, yeah, it is back to the movie, isn't it? Uh, yeah. In the meantime, you can catch us on social media at Dead House or Dead House Pod. Email at deadhousepod at hotmail.com. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. <laughs>